0: Just a couple facts about me. I live in Omaha with my husband and best friend of 36 years as of this last December. Uh, His name is Kelly. He couldn't be here today. We have two grown children and three amazing grandchildren. Do I have any grandparents in the house? Okay, so you know this rocks your world when you become a grandparent. And of course, I would be remiss as a grandparent if I didn't show pictures of my grandkids to you, and it would take too long to do that individually, so I thought we could just start with on the screen so you can see the joy they bring to me. This is Garnet, my four-year-old granddaughter who lives in Phoenix. Yes, ah, it's appropriate. <laughs> and then this next picture is Briley and Huxley. Briley is two and Huxley is seven months. They live in Omaha near me, thank you, Lord. And this last picture is Kelly and I, and it kind of looks like we're, well, I guess you can tell that's the beach. We're in Alaska there, but that's my love of my life and my husband of 36 years. So at least he's here with us in spirit, though he can't be here with us today. Um, As your superintendent, I have been in this role for over eight years. It's an elected role, so it means every four years they uh, reelect, and they just did that. You were a part of that by virtue of those who go to our meeting and make that vote. And so you're stuck with me for another four years. I hope that's okay. (laughs) But um, it's because of that that I get to serve the 100 churches and growing. And it is growing because we have such a strong commitment to planting new churches. Uh, with the help of faithful and generous churches like yourself, and you have been faithful and generous, so thank you. It's always gratifying to be out among our churches because, you know, you sit in this church normally every Sunday, and I'm out among a variety of churches, churches that are just being planted, churches that are 140 years old, churches where 20 people might be gathered to worship or 2,000 might be gathered to worship. I'm in, you know, suburban and urban and rural and very rural, I've got a church in the middle of a cornfield and I have to drive on a gravel road to get there. Can you imagine that? It's a beautiful thing. And talk about worship, diversity in worship. I'm in churches where they strictly sing out of the hymnal and you stand very straight and don't let a body part twitch, right? And then I'm in churches like today where people feel the freedom with the worship to just raise their hands if they want an expression or stand, that's a beautiful thing. Now, when I'm at a church in Aurora that's going to be joining the Covenant Church at this annual meeting, Imani Restoration, which is a church full of Kenyan immigrants, when I visit there and I sit in the front row and they call me out and want me to dance with them, guess what I do as superintendent? (laughs) I dance. And it is not a pretty picture, I'm gonna tell you that. (laughs) But it's a joyous thing, and it's a joy to serve the Lord in so many different expressions. I love the church. It's had such a huge impact on my life. And by church, I mean wherever God's people are gathered. I believe the local church is actually the hope of the world. So receive that church. You are the hope of this community and even the world. So before I open the scriptures this morning, I just want to briefly pray and ask God to bless this time together. Lord, would you clear our minds and our hearts that we might receive from you. Take anything that I say here this morning, Lord, and transform it into a vehicle for your message for every person that is here. Clear us from any clutter and distraction. Allow us to have our minds engaged. And Lord, I pray that the truth of your word will seep into our hearts and form our identity. I pray this in the name of Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. So my text this morning comes from Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians. It's actually a letter written to a particular church, and it's describing who we are as Christ followers and what that means for us. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles or your devices, um, I'm going to start in verse 3 of chapter one, and I'm gonna read verses three to 14. You're also welcome to just listen. Feel free to close your eyes unless that causes you to sleep, in which case don't do that. So here we go. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ." In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. The word of our Lord. I am so excited to spend time in this first half of the chapter where Paul starts right from the start with this explosive doxology, or, or prayer, if you would. Interesting pieces of piece of trivia is these first verses, verses 3 to 14, in the original language in Greek, is one extraordinarily long run-on sentence. And that's kind of amazing if you think about it. In our English versions, that's not so obvious because there are paragraph breaks and you know there's sentences divided by Periods and commas and so forth. But in its original form, there are over 200 consecutive words with no commas, no question marks, no semicolons, no exclamation points. 200 plus words without punctuation makes for one very long run on sentence. Right, teachers? Any teachers in the house? Yes, amen? (laughs) Now, contrary to what I just said, I actually think this is more than just a piece of trivia. Here's what I think. As Paul starts out his letter to the Ephesians, as he's describing what God has done for us in Jesus and and how blessed we are, covering basically all of salvation history since before the creation of the world until that time when all things in heaven and on earth will be brought together under Christ Jesus, as he's declaring this, he is simply so exuberant he can't even come up for air long enough to put in the punctuation. So there's a ton to learn here. It's so rich, we're basically hardly going to scratch the surface this morning but i also think there's something to be said about the tone in which paul delivers this now i want you to keep in mind that when paul wrote this letter he'd been a christian for about 30 years it was 30 years before that that he met jesus in that profound experience on the damascus road if you remember that and so for 30 years he's been teaching the bible he's been planting churches he's been in prison he's navigated arguments in the church I think Paul has started a few arguments in the church. He settled matters of racial inequality. He employed and gave honor to women to use their full gifting in the church. I don't know that he argued over the color of the carpet or what instruments are played in worship, though I highly doubt it. But I do know he had been preaching and teaching and leading a gospel movement for 30 years when he wrote this. So the gospel was not new news to him. It was old news. In fact, very old news to him. But oh, it was such good news to him. And as Paul starts his letter with this 200 plus word broad brushstroke summary of what God has done for us in Jesus, he is so ridiculously ecstatic he can't slow down to catch his breath. So let me give you my loose paraphrase of what I just read. We'll just call this the Tammy paraphrase if that's okay with you. Paul is saying here, listen, I don't have time for commas or periods or semicolons because I am still so overwhelmed with the never-ending reckless love of a God who had sent his only son to die for me, to raise him from the dead, so that in him I have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That God has chosen me before he spun the earth on its axis, before he flung the stars into the universe. I graced his holy imagination and he said, you're mine. He chose me, he pre destined me to be adopted as his child, and he has included me in the family of God where I have an inheritance that far exceeds anything I could ever possibly hope for, imagine, or experience on this earth, and I know I've got it coming because it's been signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit, who is the down payment for all that is to come for all of God's adopted children. To God be the glory. Is that good news, church? Amen? I'm kind of channeling Paul there, if you will. And I want to ask us this morning, are we excited about Jesus? Can I ask that in a non-rhetorical kind of way, church? Are we excited about Jesus? Yes. Yes. Paul was a follower of Jesus for 30 years and he still couldn't catch his breath because he was in awe of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I wonder if some of us this morning, some of us who maybe grew up in the church, maybe have even taught in the church or served in leadership or whatever, I wonder if some of us this morning just need to be reminded of the enormity of the gravity, the immensity of the good news of who Jesus is, amen? What I want to do in these remaining minutes is to dig out some of what has the apostle so awestruck about in these verses. I, I got to be clear, what is listed here really is the motherlode of spiritual blessings. By the way, I borrowed that from my husband who in his hobby life likes to go gold prospecting. So it is the motherlode of spiritual blessings, if you will. But we only get to go digging for a few nuggets this morning so right out of the right out of the shoot i want to start with nugget number one and it's quite simple it is this he chose you verse four says he chose you before the creation of the world now i don't know about you but when i was growing up (laughs) I hope they don't do this anymore, but um, they had this kind of little playground activity. It'd be recess or whatever, you'd go out on the playground and you'd start to play some sport together, right? And what'd they do? They'd pick two captains usually kind of like the best players out there. And and then they'd line up all the kids, and one by one they'd get to choose every other captain who is going to be on the team. And they'd start with the best players being chosen, of course, all the way down to those who were the most athletically challenged. and. And it always resulted in these embarrassing moments because the same people were often at the end of the line every single time. And if you were one of those habitually last to be chosen people, you dreaded this. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Are y'all a bunch of athletes in here? Uh huh. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter one You need to know. That the captain of all creation, before he even created the world, he knew your name and he called you out and he said, I pick you. You're mine and I want you on my team. And here's the reality. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, is that long before you ever chose to follow Jesus, he chose you. Long before you ever decided, hey, I'm going to hitch my wagon to Jesus, he had already decided to choose you. Being chosen before creation has everything to do with the value that he places on us, and by that I mean on every human being. It has nothing to do with God arbitrarily choosing some and overlooking others, which is good news, because there may be some of you here who have felt overlooked, either now or in the past, or you know someone who does. Maybe you weren't chosen for that sports team. Maybe you've been overlooked for promotions at work. Maybe you're not in the in crowd, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. Dare I even say it happens in the church. Maybe you've had a hard time making friends, not invited to all the parties, excluded, labeled, called names. Maybe you felt isolated, alone, discounted, overlooked, disregarded, or unchosen. I want you to hear the voice of Jesus coming through in Ephesians 1. Listen, my child, I chose you I picked you. You are beyond valuable, and you are on my team. Before the foundation of the world, I chose you. Nugget number two, you've been adopted into God's family. So let me share a little story with you. This comes out of verse five, by the way, where it says, it tells us that long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family. He predestined us. For adoption. So a personal story about a nurse named Shayla. It was a Friday night, and Shayla was working on the maternity ward. She hadn't worked there for a very long time. That wasn't her normal place, but someone had called in sick, and she agreed to come in and take the shift. That evening, a pregnant woman had been admitted, and it was Shayla's job that night to care for her as she was about to give birth imminently, (laughs) And while she was talking with the baby's mom, she learned a couple of things. She learned, one, that she was about to deliver her baby a full two weeks early. And she also learned that this woman was planning to give her child up for adoption. Later, when Shayla went on break, she called her husband and told him about the situation. You see, Shayla and her husband had dreamed about one day adopting a child because they had two boys, ages six and seven, and because of health reasons had been told they couldn't have more children, and so they were hoping to complete their family one day through the form of adoption, and um, so she was feeling rather energized. And that evening, the woman gave birth to a healthy baby girl, and, and And you can imagine, you know, not knowing what's going to happen, the speculation that was happening across the maternity ward as they talked about it. On break, Shayla had obviously called her husband and on her way home as she was thinking, she could not stop thinking about this baby that had been bored. When she got home, even though it was late at night, she and her husband were talking about this baby and just sort of some, what I would think of as unattainable possibilities, so much so that it was hard for them to get to sleep that night. The next morning, even though it was Saturday, most doctors' offices aren't even open. She decided based on a prompting that she had that she'd go ahead and make that call and inquire. And in fact, miraculously, the receptionist answered. And within an hour, the doctor who had delivered the baby had called her back. And he explained to her that the doctor who was supposed to deliver this baby was out of town for two weeks on vacation. They simply weren't able to Reach him. And then he said to Shayla this since you are the first to get your foot in the door, if you want to start the legal paperwork, you can take that baby home. So on Monday, after a frantic weekend of buying clothes and bottles and formula and diapers, you can only imagine because they had absolutely nothing, they drove to the hospital and that baby girl was placed in Shayla's arms. And she said she just cried. She just wept with joy and if you haven't already figured it out that baby girl was me (laughs) I'm that child And I consider my adoption nothing short of a miraculous convergence of extraordinary God orchestrated moments. I am so grateful to God for loving parents who opened their heart and their home and gave me place in a beautiful family. It's always been foundational to understanding my identity as the daughter of Shayla and Winston Swanson, my earthly parents. But even more importantly, as a lavishly and extravagantly loved child of God. This, my friends, is our story. Our stories, every one of them are a miraculous convergence of extraordinary God-orchestrated events that have led to our adoption as children of God. Think back on your story, think back on the ways in which God has drawn you into his presence. First John 3, 1 John 3:1, 1, of my favorite verses of all time. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, because that is what we are. I remember saying to my brothers growing up, because both of them were born of my parents naturally, and yet mom and dad had to keep you, but they chose me. I don't know what life I was saved out of. Perhaps it was tragic but I do know the life that I was invited into and blessed with. And the good news of the gospel is sort of like that, that Jesus saves us from something, from our sins, from our folly, from some kind of mundane existence. And he does that and it's good news, but it's also that he invites us into his family and he gives us an inheritance and in every way treats us as his dearly loved children. And friends, I think that is the great news We could spend a lifetime mining the depths of the meaning of our adoption. We'd only be scratching the surface. But how about just a couple of thoughts this morning? If you are a son or daughter of God, that means you have unrestricted, unhindered access to God as your father. Now, here's what I mean. When my children were young, just a little baby, they called out in the middle of the night, guess what, I came running. When my children were in grade school and if they really, really needed something, you better believe I was Johnny on the spot. When my kids were teenagers and they wanted to talk, you better believe I stopped whatever it was that I was doing to listen to what they had to say. And when my grown children call me just to chat, I'm pretty much gonna take that call no matter when it comes. Don't even get me going on my grandkids. (laughs) Because they're my kids and I love them and I love to hear from them. I delight in hearing from them. Verse 5 tells us you have been adopted. That means you have unrestricted, unhindered access to God. A God who delights in you. A heavenly father who finds great joy in hearing from you. I always know when I'm talking to a group of any size that not everybody has the same experience. Some of you may have had a rocky relationship with your dad. In fact, some of you may not have felt a whole lot of love from your father growing up, while others of you may have had a great dad who really modeled the love of Christ for you. But regardless of your earthly father, what I want you to hear this morning is the voice of a God who literally delights in you who says, you can call me dad. In fact, you can call me anytime. I will be your father. I have chosen you and I've adopted you into my family. And there's another thing. If you're an adopted son or daughter of God, not only do you get unrestricted, unhindered access to a father who delights in you, you get a family, (laughs) When I was adopted, I got more than just a relationship with my parents, I got adopted into a family and I remember the stories that I was told as I was growing up, of course I wouldn't remember them, but how excited they were, my family, my brothers at school on that Monday morning, running home on the lunch hour, breathless, couldn't wait to meet me, they got in the door, my parents said they came in the door, they were just, they didn't know what to do, they were paralyzed, so excited my older brother reached out and kind of ran his arm hand up and down my arm like you know is this real or what and believe me it got way more real brotherly sisterly relationships after that but But honestly i didn't just get parents out of the deal i got a family and we belong to one another Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this about the Christian family. He said, We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we have been chosen from eternity, accepted in time, and united for eternity. Now, this should impact everything. When I think of God's family, it's so much bigger than my little family of origin, beautiful as that is. It's bigger than the Castle Oaks Covenant family or even the denomination, right? It's people from every nation, tribe, people, and language, anyone who calls God Father and knows Jesus, his son. It's people from everywhere. And it means we need to care about the things that matter to the family, the rest of The family. When our brothers and sisters, I'm going to guess here at Castle Oaks, are experiencing some kind of joy, we rejoice with them. We celebrate. When they're experiencing some kind of sorrow, we come alongside and we care for them. And in the same way, we need to think of the universal family. When children are separated at the border from their parents and are terrified, we need to care because they are Christ's family. When children are shot in the streets or in the schools or in the movie theater, We need to care. When some of our brothers and sisters lack opportunities that some of us can take for granted, we need to care about that. When Christians around the globe are persecuted, mistreated, imprisoned, run out of their country, we need to care about that. We need to care for them because the family of God transcends the color of our skin, the country of our origin, or the language that we speak. God said it. That makes it so. And Ephesians tells us that one day, according to God's good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, when the times reach their fulfillment, he's going to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ to the praise of his glory. And in Revelation 7, it paints just that picture of God's entire family gathered from every nation, tribe, people, and language, language, gathered around the throne of God, praising him in the heavenly realms. I gotta tell you, that is gonna be the best family reunion ever, amen, church? No wonder Paul was so exuberant. (laughs) We get a family with all the blessings and all the responsibilities that come with that. You're a family here at Castle Oaks, brothers and sisters with one another, and even across the greater covenant family, and our family extends to Christ followers all around the globe, and it's been God's plan all along to pull this diverse family together, both those in heaven and those on earth, to bring unity under Christ, and we get the privilege of aligning our heart with God's heart in this area, aligning our hearts with God's plans and his purposes and participating with him in accomplishing that in the here and now because we already belong to each other. Because to claim God as father is to claim all of God's children as our brothers and sisters. Being adopted means we have the privilege of being a part of God's diverse family. Nugget number three, and I'll be closing with this one. Ephesians tells us we were blessed with every spiritual blessing chosen before the creation of the world, adopted into God's family, redeemed through the blood of Jesus, forgiven of our sins, lavished in the richness of God's grace, guaranteed an inheritance filled with the spirit of the living God, dot, 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 for the praise of his glory. The praise of his glory, that little phrase is seen three times in that scripture that I read to you here. I think that's Paul's way of saying, hey, pay attention to what I'm saying. (laughs) Whenever we see references in scripture to God's glory, it's talking about God being revealed. And when we experience God being revealed, when we see his glory, when we experience his presence, and when we experience his power, we can't help but praise him. Glory is all about revelation, God revealing his character as a loving God, a saving God, one who chooses us, who values us, who delights in us, who adopts us into his family. But in this outburst of praise to God, Paul turns this on its side, if you will, and says, we who are in Christ are for the praise of his glory. Now that's kind of shorthand for we get to reveal Christ We are for the praise of his glory. We get to reveal Christ. You see, in verse four, it says he chose us before the creation of the world to live holy and blameless lives before God, which makes sense because we're for the praise of his glory. Whatever else the church is, it has to be a community of changed people. We've got to look different than the world around us. Our primary citizenship, our primary political party, if you would say that, is the kingdom of God, and we need to take our identity cues from there and not from the toxic, divisive, me-first dehumanizing and devaluing rhetoric in this world in which we live. We're called to live in alignment with God's plans and his purposes, which is to bring all things together under heaven and earth, under Christ, so that we who are in Christ, we will be for the praise of his glory. That's the point. We are chosen by God for the praise of his glory. We are adopted by God for the praise of his glory. We are put in this diverse family for the praise of his glory so that we will participate in making Christ known. And the beauty of our life being incorporated into the life of Christ a people chosen, loved, redeemed, forgiven, is that God would be praised. To God be the glory. So when we ponder that question, I asked at the outset, are we excited about Jesus? I want to ask it again. Can you help me out here, church? Are we excited about Jesus? Are we excited about all that he's done for us? Yes. It's my prayer, Castle Oaks family, that you will grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, not only here, but seeping down into our hearts and experiencing it every day to know this overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, so much so that his love spills out of you and pours into the lives of those around us. And to God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Oh, gracious God, it is so much for us to comprehend the magnitude of your love for us, being chosen, being adopted into your family, your diverse family, being commissioned to respond in the praise of your glory that we might reveal you to a world that desperately needs to know they're loved, forgiven, valued, redeemed. And so, Lord, I pray for this wonderful family, for the ministry that they have, that you would expand their influence well beyond these walls, in their homes, among their friends, in their schools, in their workplaces, in their neighborhoods, even around this world, Lord. Would your Holy Spirit bless them and invigorate them, and may you increase their territory. I ask this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.